Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Beverly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's been so long since I've seen your face. <laughs> you don't follow me on Instagram? Well, I'm I've on seen Instagram. You. I guess I should say live. I haven't seen your face. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And it's really weird. I'm so used to our weekly at least check-ins. And so it's super sad when we don't get those. Well, tell us about your week because you had the best week of any of us, I'm sure. I, I did with very little sleep due to the, due to the fold-out bed situation, but um, we rented an Airbnb fairly close to our home, only about two hours away um, up in the Tri-Cities area in the mountains in Tennessee. And the Airbnb had what I thought was the most important thing to me on a vacation. It had a hot tub on a patio facing a creek which is for me, I mean, I, I slowly boiled myself for at least 20 hours over the course of five days. Um, it was wonderful. I absolutely love that. It turns out there is at least one thing that I also consider essential on a vacation that I was unaware of because I just took it for granted. That would be a bed. Um, this, <laughs> this, this Airbnb in their advertising listed three sleeping surfaces. There was a queen bed in the loft, which we'll put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. There was a sofa bed that folded out and an air mattress. And we figured just going into it, we're both kind of fat and old and that maybe the loft wasn't going to be for us. And if it wasn't, we still had the sofa bed with the pullout mattress. You put the two things together. That's pretty good. It's not a terrible surface to sleep on. It takes a little bit of time. You have to pump up the air mattress or whatever. We get there. I decide first thing I'm going to do after using the restroom is to go upstairs into the loft so that I can find out how that's going to go. Um, I step on the first step and it's, it's a ladder, like a little bit wider than standard wooden ladder that's leaned at a, you know, moderately, like a ladderly. Not not shallower or deeper than a ladder, like a normal A-frame ladder you'd climb uh-huh. up. So it's fairly steep. Um, visually, as you look at it, it definitely required at least one more step between the top of the steps and the loft. Okay. So that could be an issue, especially coming down, but whatever. I was trying to go up. I hop on the first step and it, it wobbles back and forth uh. as if it should have two things on both sides but only has one Mm. so it's more like a seesaw as you climb on it and I think well let's see what the second step brings (laughs) I get onto the second step and it does not wobble but it makes a noise and I think oh I am fatter than this ladder expected me to be (laughs) now that may not technically be what was wrong with the ladder but at that point I'm like shit what now so I try the third step And then I realize I live there now. I now live on the third step. And that is where I will spend all five days of my vacation because I don't know how to go further up or how to get back down at this point because all of the steps are further apart than a standard ladder. Oh boy. There were a grand total of four steps and it had to go up to a height of seven feet. 
And so that's what you had. Now, my guess is many people use the loft, but we were not those people. So my husband helped me down because he's very nice and didn't think that that was funny very long. He thought it was funny (laughs) for a little while, though. (laughs) So he helps me down. The first night, we gave it a go. And I learned that my body has benefits over my husband's smaller body. Benefits. I am a winner. My (laughs) body protected me from this couch. Here's how. Pull out couches. They have that amazing bar that goes across the center, whose purpose, I believe, is to prevent overnight guests from staying too long. (laughs) So, So you've got that. That's pretty awesome. I think its real purpose is to keep the front edge of the couch up when it's folded in. I mean, it's otherwise you'd just sink down. But anyway, um, because I am shaped like a palm pomegranate bottle, I am I am round at the top. I come in at the middle and I am rounder at my hips. Um, I was able to stick the bar in that divot where my waist is, oh, nice. which meant it pressed against my ribs a little. So, you know, I had a little soreness. But essentially, my body is built to have a hump right where that bar was. My husband's body is apple-shaped. He does not have that hump. Every part of him hurt the next day. I had a little pain in my rib, but I know this is so not sewing related, but this may save someone in the future. So we made a decision that we were going to make the couch more comfortable before we had to sleep on it again the next night. We ran out. And we picked up three, three of their largest boxes for $2 each, um, corrugated cardboard folded flat boxes. And we picked up a, a, a mattress topper. So we came back, we stuck the cardboard over overlapping and over the bar. And then we took the extra comforter we had and folded it up into eights and put it over the bar. And then because the bed also sloped downwards to your head, so it was like a anti-gravity bed, we put extra, we bought ourselves pillows for the house. We bought brand new pillows going, you know what, we could use new pillows. We'll get rid of old pillows that are too flat. We'll buy new ones. So we bought new pillows and we used those to fill in the flatness place. Then we put the mattress topper over it. Then we put the sheet over it. And then for me, that made it so that there was really no pain anymore at night. For my husband, he still had to use a full fluffy pillow under his hip and waist in order to not have that bar destroy him. And even then we got into the house, didn't bring any luggage into the house. When we came back from vacation, we went and took a three hour naps. <laughs> so it was clearly not... <laughs> amusingly not a bad stay genuinely that was the one the one thing that really um wasn't great the food was great we um had a television so we were able to sit and watch horror movies at night we sat out in the tub i get up at five as you know and i'd sit in the tub from five till nine and wow um, (laughs) and then we'd get back in in the afternoons now some days i got out at eight but um we would back in in the evenings or afternoons and we put in a lot of tub time is what I'm saying. It was amazing. It was really, really nice. And I got to stop by Fine Fabrics to bring it back to Sewing Talk in Atlanta, Georgia, because while we lived two hours away, northeast of us, we um, we drove down and through Atlanta, Chattanooga, and Knoxville, so about a five and a half hour drive in order to get there <laughs> so wow. that we could go to the fabric store and so we could go to Bucky's. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> 
So we had a great time. We bought too many snacks at Bucky's. We brought many of those home because we didn't have time to eat them where we were. It just, apparently we, we assumed a lot more about our eating than, than was true. Um, and picked up some fabric and things like that. So it was, it was really nice. And I got some good pictures of things I'd made for the vacation, um, but hadn't photographed before I left. Um, it was a lot of fun. That's great. Yay. So I guess you didn't get any sewing in. You didn't bring a sewing machine with you. I did not bring my sewing machine with me, although I do have plans to bring it on our next vacation because instead of a tiny house, we're going to have a large cabin. Oh, <laughs> nice. Tiny houses aren't for us. Um, but this large cabin will also have a large hot tub and a view off the top of a mountain in Kentucky. So that'll be lovely. When is that? Um, that's in December, the week after Christmas. Oh, lovely. Lovely. We're counting on a, a good time. Um, so I wouldn't have gotten any sewing done. That's true on vacation, but I did get back yesterday and uh, well, I got back Friday evening, but, um, but I started sewing on Saturday and some fool sent me a link to, um, to an amazing challenge. Uh, the hashtag for the challenge is, uh, this is, a, this is a challenge that is being run by uh, the account R-O-U, the number two, A-N, the number one, underscore, made. And for this amazing challenge, uh, they are suggesting that we use the hashtag Hope Dress Springs Eternal. And if you go look a couple posts back at the black and white hope dress they've posted with a, a beautiful brown leather belt, um, you can see the challenge there. And uh, I believe I believe it may have been you who sent me this challenge, uh, wherein they suggested anyone who's made at least three, at least three style arc hopes can participate. Um, now I will note I don't think it's actually expressed as a challenge. <laughs> I, I may have added that factor myself now that I'm reviewing <clears throat> the post again. However, the uh, the maker, the original maker who uses the uh, the hashtag um, Asian Anti to identify their posts um, has has made uh, nine and is planning on cutting out a tenth. I had I had sadly, pathetically, almost only made four as of Saturday morning. As of this morning, I have made seven and a half. Um, <laughs> my. My guess is that I, I will meet or exceed that nine fairly soon. Um, I'm dyeing some fabric today to make one. Um, I'm looking around my room at all the projects I had planned and thinking, huh, I bet that could be a hope dress. Because it turns out what I needed to really fuel my binge sewing was a challenge. So I am all in. Um, yesterday, I made one out of a silky fabric that was a, a designer deadstock end. Um, I made one out of a Joanne knit from their pop knit line that's primarily children's. This one was Halloween. It's lavender with black kitty cats all over it. Um, and I made one out of a Dusty Mauve double knit um, fabric. I knitted the skirt and just brought the bodice down to mid-calf length so it's more of a straight look. Um, and I used uh, sheer fabric with those big circle pilot sequiny things on them. Oh, cool. So that one's um, sort of cha-cha. You know, you move your arms around and it's very, very <laughs> extravagant. And the mornings that I am in the middle of right now, I'm going to make an effort to show you some of because I think this one is genuinely going to be a stunner. 
Um, I am, I'm changing up the skirt. I've made the skirt like three times the width that the pattern recommends, and I'm going to pleat it. Um, I'm going to do box pleat at the center and then pleat going out to mirror the, the box pleat, I think, but not repeated box pleats, just left pleat, left pleat, left pleat, right pleat, right pleat, left, right pleat. <laughs> um, I have made it out of an Ankara wax that I got at, I got that at Fine Fabrics, um, as well as this eyelet that I got at Fine oh, Fabrics. Oh, beautiful. And so the Ankara wax print that I'm using is orange and pink flowers with big blue leaves and yellow stems and then the eyelet lace is just a plain white use black and white piping on it and at the end of the sleeve instead of doing the hem and the shape because the sleeve on this the end is that curved shape that's uh -huh. needed to make the sleeve be even all the way around uh -huh. instead of that i've taken advantage of the edge on the eyelet so it's a straight hem uh -huh. and i didn't put in a casing or anything i just stretched elastic and zigzagged it in at the end so i'll still have that gathered but it'll look, it'll look a little bit different. Yeah. I anyway, like the idea I, of using the eyelet for the sleeves. Yeah. I thought that was a really neat idea. And that's definitely inspired, um, inspired by uh, the account that made the challenge. Because if you go and look at their Hope dresses, the, these are amazing dresses. They've been all manner of colors and color blocking. You can see the use of bias tape, which I plan to use to hem the skirt. Um, you, you can just see a, a wide variety of ways they've tried to make this an even more exciting pattern than it already is. So this is also someone who's done quite a few of the uh, Chris Wood dresses. And oh. so um, I'm, I'm seeing just a lot of inspiration here as I as I look through, I immediately think, well, these are these are things that, that I'd like to try and incorporate more of into mine, um, a, a Chris Wood dress that like one that I've done where one quarter of the panel is a completely different color or colorway um, using some bias tape there as well. So this is, this is a definitely recommended follow um, cool. for sure. Anyway, I appreciate your introducing me to it. Um, uh, the account owner and I are also messaging both on the, the posts, but also back and forth um, in messages as we challenge each other to uh, be, be better and more awesome. And uh, hopefully I'm not, not too, too terribly annoying. Um, hard to so, say though. Um, so that's really all of my sewing has been challenge-based and exclusively because you made me do it. I'll also share my cheat. I am really crappy at uh, joining biased piping. Uh -huh. And so instead I used where it's supposed to join, it's, I zigzagged over it, it's open. But I took a Kylie in the machine, tiny handmade label over it. So you can't see any of my junky join. And it looks on purpose because it's just a little hand at the back now to indicate that it's hand now. That's supposed to go differently because on the inside, it's upside down, right? It's supposed to hang down. Yeah, It's yeah, just yeah. a normal interior. But, but anyway, I went ahead and did that because I thought that was super cute. That's, that's a, good, that's a good, uh, good little hack there. Anyway, what have you been up to? Because you've had the whole week to just party down with your sewing. Yeah, and go to work. But um, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> Everyone's not on vacation when I'm on vacation? That's so confusing. <laughs> Well, I'm out of my sewing slump that I had where everything was turning out bad. And so that's good. I've made four of the Frida blouses. So Holy shit. Mm -hmm. You've mm -hmm. made four of them? 
I've made zero. You're winning. Yeah, I'm winning. <laughs> um, if it goes to a challenge, though, put all your money on Jenny because there's no way I'll win. Okay, so I made the first one I made is the one that wasn't really the correct sizing. I went through all of that last week, but I've made three more since then. One of them was short sleeved and I put elastic at the waist. And I like that because I, I like the look of tucked in things, but I don't like the feel of it. Beverly, my mama used to wear those blouses. To me, they're, they're great grandma blouses. That's so confusing to me because you're so young and hip. I have a <laughs> bunch of these blouses those, that I bought ready to wear that have the, the um, elastic in believe them. Believe you. <laughs> it just... Do you remember the ones from the A's that had the sheared elastic at the waist? Mm-hmm. I'd like those Maybe too. Maybe the 70s too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just, they will always remind me of my mom. <laughs> I really like it. It's comfortable. And, and so I, I actually might do it with more of them. So I only did that on one of them. And then the other two, I have one that's a long sleeve. It's supposed full length. It's really more like bracelet length or maybe a little shorter on me because I have long arms, but that's fine. I don't like things way down to the end anyway. And then I I made one a few inches shorter than that, like just over my elbow. Let's see, two of them were cotton sateen. One of them was rayon and one linen. And so the purple linen one was really nice. It's pretty boxy though, because of, you know, the linen's a bit more structured uh, because it's not a linen rayon blend. It's pure linen. So really like have it. you considered for your gathering at the waist and i don't think you'd like this because i think there's something about I, anyway i don't think you'd like it but i'm wondering if you've considered it because i think it might be a fun fun look first off i would 100 percent make it a dress and i'd probably put <laughs> i'd probably put something um a casing at the middle so i could put some elastic in it or a drawstring or something like that but but one of the things I've been interested in is sort of creating peplums with elastic. And so I wonder if you made it a little bit longer and stuck a casing in with elastic six or eight inches from the bottom hem, whether that would be a cute look or if that would, that would be a look you wouldn't like. I'm not sure. Well, I think it would be a cute look on other people. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that I really like. Every time I've made myself a peplum top, I haven't liked it. And I don't yeah. know if it's just... I don't know why. I don't know if it's my proportions or if it's just personal taste or what, but I right. haven't enjoyed those. But I do think they'd be cute on other people. I like peplum tops either, but for some reason I'm really intrigued by this idea. It's to me, it's sort of the extension of the sleeve I just showed you where you where you leave some excess at the end of it instead of elasticizing at the very end, you you have a little bit of a frill that comes up as a result of it. So right. I've been interested in it but I'm not really a top person. Yeah, that's true. The one thing about this pattern is there's these pleats that are in the front and in the back. And the one that I really like that I, the one with the elastic waist, I noticed that those pleats are always going to be open, right? Because it's, it's sitting right on your boobs. So Mm -hmm. they're always going to be open. And that's, that's one of the reasons I don't like pleated pants because I don't like a look of a pleat when it's open and I like it like I like to see them folded and not like when it's mm-hmm. open, it looks like it's too small to me. So, so I, sh- I changed the pleats into gathers and on one of them, I just made the gathers right in between where the pleats would be. So there'd be four bits of gathers, two on the front and two on the back. Right. And then on an, on the linen one, the last one, I made the gathers stretch between the whole way across the front. So 
um, from the outside edges of the pleats. And so then, then the gathers is, are less, you know, they're less you right. know, gathery or whatever. And I like them both. So I think those are, for me, I prefer the look of a gather that's kind of coming open rather than pleats. Could you throw a ruffle in there? Is it a true yoke? Yes, it's a true yoke. Um, you could do it just like, yeah, you could do like the sagebrush on it mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So I like it. I that like would be really a good place. I'm sorry. That'd be a good place for piping too. I think there's a lot you could do there. Yeah. That's interesting. It yeah. It's a, it's a nice, very simple, but nice. I, I just love the double, you know, double burrito method that you use on it. It's, it's fun to construct. And I like, oh, I also in the last version took in some at the shoulders, the shoulders go down low and then they have a, but the, sh- but the sleeves are also kind of gathered. So um, I don't know if it's because my shoulders are so straight. It looks kind of funny that they kind of poof out from the edge there, you know, but um, anyways. Yeah. Okay. So I also made another pair of the Soho seven free range slacks, the wide leg cropped version. I made those previously with the Essex linen, which is linen cotton blend. And um, I like it because it doesn't really grow that much, but I made the same mistake that I always make with these. They tell you to make your elastic the same size as your waist. That's way too big. So silly. Yeah. Yeah. They have to make it tighter, right? So even yep. though I use this really firm elastic for it, the non-roll really firm elastic, it needs to be tighter because it's just, I don't know, maybe if you have, I don't know, even you would do that, right? Like it doesn't, it's not just because my, I don't have much of oh, a yeah. Yeah. If, if you don't, it, it just floats around your waist. I don't, I don't find that a useful, no, silly, yeah. silly. And in my case, because my waist and hip ratio is they're, they're very, they're similar. They fall down, you know, (laughs) like it's not a, it's not a good thing for me. So, but anyways, I'll fix that. And then the last thing that I did was I made, I finally pulled out the expansion pack for the Helen's closet Ashton top. And you know, that's one of my favorite patterns. Mm -hmm. I love the Ashton top. And I made two of those. One of those, I made a straight size. 14, I believe. And the next one I made an FBA on it and I do need the FBA. Now they do come in a D cup range. Also they have two size bands and the 14 is available in both of those. Um, but I find that when I, when I've made that in the past, it, um, it didn't fit as well all over. So it's probably better for me to do the B cup range and the FBA. Although maybe I need to check them, check the, Maybe it's not so different after all. Maybe it's my imagination and I should check that out. <laughs> um, I could do a comparison with that. But I, one of them I made with some linen that I got from Sarah Fornia. She mailed to me. That is awesome. She had made something with linen and she hated it. And she like, she says, I don't like this linen at all. And, and she was going to get rid of it. So she sent it to me and, um, and so I made something with it and I put a little, I love linen tag in it. That's really great. It's neat when people are able to, to find a way to reuse some of that fabric. I know I've sent fabric out to folks that I thought would make better use of it than I would. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. It was really sweet. I wanted to mention that Deer and Doe are re-releasing their Sirocco jumpsuit. And you know something about that, don't you? I do. I am still uh, waiting for my printed pattern to arrive. Once it does, 
I'll be sewing up a version of that um, as part of the release plan. And I, that's really exciting. Deer and Doe is one of those companies that I think I, I became aware of really early on in my return to sewing and um, just never went back to because they don't make anything that's even kind of my size. And uh, and this is this is fairly exciting. If I remember right, the size chart on this one, the hip measurement goes up to a 61. So it's very close to my size, though not quite my size. But I do fit in at the um, the other all the other measurements, uh, my chest and my waist are, are all well within their, um, their fit. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this one comes out. Um, I purchased some uh, fabric for it this weekend while I was uh, out of town and I am, I am aching to get going on it. Um, I'm doing a toile on this one, which I don't normally do. I've also ordered some fabric uh, from the vendor that they've provided for this. And so I'll have some fancier fabric as well. Oh, nice. So it's it's going to be pretty exciting. I, I think that's neat. And I like the idea of a wrap knit jumpsuit. So the, the thing that didn't work for me about the Zadie that was so popular, I think in part would have been fixed had I made it out of an appropriate knit instead mm-hmm. of a woven. Um, each version I made was woven. Um, it seemed to be designed for woven from what I remember. Yeah, yeah. And it just... It just didn't work for me in a woven and it's easier to go from a woven to a stable knit, right? It's not a, it's not a real hard thing to do, but I think at that point in my sewing journey, I, I didn't feel comfortable identifying an appropriate knit. Um, if I were to go back to it, I would now, but it, um, I think the bloom is off the rose for that one for me. So, so I'm, I'm excited to try this one. I think the other advantage this one will have is on the, the Zadie, the wrap was a true wrap and went all the way down into your, uh, crotch area for me in order for it to open wide enough for me to fit. And so, um, with the Scirocco, it does not, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So that'll be fun. I thought it was pretty adventurous that their their first kind of re-release into um, a larger size range was a jumpsuit. I mean, that's a in the best of times a, a difficult fit, right? I, I think it can be. I do know that the message I got was that this was one of their most popular patterns, and they wanted to start with great um, the things that had been historically most popular. So that um, which makes a lot of sense. I can understand yes. that. Um, I, I don't know if they did any other sort of market research to determine whether or not that's what fatter sewists would be looking for either. But I, I do know that for me, that is one of the things that I have a harder time finding is a jumpsuit that works right for me. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm interested in finding out if this one really, really works for me in the way that it's supposed to. So I'm super excited. And I also like that they are re-releasing their free pattern, the plantain tea. Um, which is a very popular t-shirt pattern. It's fitted in the shoulders and, um, you know, kind of flares out at the hips and it's a, it's very popular. I think it suits a lot of people and uh, nice. They're going to re-release those. So hopefully that'll come soon. So Jenny, we've been talking for a long time. What are we here to do today? We are actually here to talk about an amazing organization threaded together that is run by Sierra and Lindsay, or at least they're the interviewed related to it. Um, And we are excited to be able to share this conversation. This is a really neat organization that's committed to sharing a, a love of sewing with communities that don't always have good access to sewing. So 
Um, so I'm really excited to be able to share that with folks. We did issue a challenge. If you make a contribution, a financial contribution to this organization, and then you message me with evidence of that contribution, I will send you a prize. They are a really wonderful organization. And Lindsay talks a lot about uh, how uh, she got it started. And um, they were due to launch right as COVID hit. And they reorganized to do to make things for the medical community and for other communities. They've made, I don't know what she said, like 20,000 masks or something like that. I mean, it was a lot. And um, so you'll hear all about that in the episode. Um, so we have information in the show notes on how you can contribute. I'm including that link in the in what actually goes out through the podcast as well. So you won't have to actually click on the on the show notes to, to get that. And we hope that our, they also um, accept contributions of um, sewing uh, of fabric and sewing notions. So uh, take a listen to the episode and see how you might be able to help them. Hey, Jenny, how are you tonight? I'm super duper. How about you, Beverly? I'm doing really good. We are so lucky. We've got two guests today. Um, one of our guests surprised me. I didn't know it was so very Sierra I was talking to. Um, she she tricked me, but we have Sierra and Lindsay here from Threaded Together, and they're going to tell us about their organization and what they do with that and uh, how it supports the sewing community. But first of all, could you two introduce yourselves and tell us where we can find you? Yeah, I guess I'll get started because I did kind of slide that in there that I um, am a big fan of the show <laughs> and I'm so very Sierra and I follow the hashtags and all that fun stuff. So my name is Sierra Ferguson and you can find me on Instagram at so very Sierra. Um, and then I'm also kind of the social media person behind Threaded Together's Instagram account, which is at Threaded Together AZ. And you can kind of find both of us there. Uh, my name is <laughs> Lindsay Watson and... Yes. If you see anything fantastic on our Threaded Together AZ social media, it all comes from Sierra. I have nothing to do with it. And then my personal Instagram, you can follow me, is called Girl Gang Quilts. And that's where I share mostly pictures of my kids, but some quilts too. So <laughs> That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Lindsay recently posted a really beautiful picture of one of her girls on one of her quilts. So you can ah, nice. in the same photo. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So why don't you tell us what Threaded Together is, first of all? So Threaded Together is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Flagstaff, Arizona. <laughs> and our mission is to inspire creativity and connection through textile arts programs that empower participants, enrich our community, and also provide employment pathways for women and vulnerable populations. So we host a number of different programs uh, for our community that are based in textile arts. Um, some of those include, uh, so we have kind of an employment pathway and we work with a couple local shelters in town. And so we offer a vocational training program for survivors of domestic violence to come in and learn how to sew as a career path. So we have um, a sewing workroom and we work with local businesses in town to uh, support their small batch manufacturing needs. Um, we work with 
a pediatric dentist to make weighted blankets that are calming for their patients. Um, nice. Also, yeah, we work with a local aeronautical engineer um, to make airplane seat cushions. And so through this production style work, we get to um, train women in our community and provide them with some employable skills and flexible employment options. So that's kind of our employment pathway. And then we have a whole educational piece too. And so we have a community classroom where we do uh, all sorts of different textile arts classes for the community. And all of our classes are offered on a sliding scale equity pricing basis. And we also have full scholarships available. So we really try to remove barriers to participating in textile art programming. Um, we also have a great program called Sewing Squad, which is very near and dear to all our hearts here. And it's probably, it's my personal favorite program that we're doing right now. But this is a partnership with local organizations in town to offer free sewing for teens facing adversity. So right now our partnership is with the Coconino County Juvenile Court. And so we work with um, a local school that helps teens on probation uh, get their GED. And so we do a free sewing class for these teens once a week and they're so fun, charming, like so creative, they get to come in. Um, it's really a student-led class, so they get to decide what they want to make, and we have a lot of great volunteers to kind of help them through that process. So that is a great thing. And then yes. what else? Do we, we're getting ready to start creating Connect. Create and Connect, yeah. Lindsay mentioned as well that one of our big things, one of the things we're passionate about is bringing down barriers for people to enter sewing and fiber arts and really discover all of that, which we know can be kind of crazy and expensive at the beginning because you might not have a sewing machine or be able to get one right away. So we are opening up our space, our studio to the community for them to come in. We have an adult uh, time for two hours a week and a teen time for two hours a week where uh, we just let folks from the community come in and make what they want to make and have a little bit of guidance from our team. But it's again, very self-led and all about building autonomy and having the opportunity to like uh, embrace sewing and embrace all of these creative practices um, without any financial barriers. That's really that exciting. Really great. <laughs> I know as a teen, I started, I, go ahead. I started sewing as a teen because I, I couldn't find clothing that fit me in the stores that I'd go to because I'm fatter than the average teen I was and I'm fatter than the average adult now. And, uh, and having resource like this would have been a real benefit for me. It was something that I, I developed on my own, but it's this is a really neat idea. I, I love looking at your resource page, the number of things you've put together to try and try and build a better sewing community and make it more accessible to people who might traditionally have particularly financial barriers, but also other circumstance barriers. So that's, that's really amazing. Um, I, I love it. A lot of uh, our community will be interested in how this got started because these are great ideas. And I think a lot of people might be interested in that. But it, honestly, if I was to come at it, I wouldn't know. Do you have to get a grant first? Do you, do you get started first and then see if you can get grants? Do you get do you use your own money? I mean, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So um, Threaded Together started with mm -hmm. this whole idea. 
Um, I have been sewing almost my whole life. My mom taught me to sew when I was little. Um, brief stint in fashion school. <laughs> um, and I worked as a costume maker for also a very brief time before um, I decided to go back to school and kind of switch gears, you know, us creatives are very passionate about a million different things. So often our paths are not linear to where we get to, but, um, I had kind of put sewing on hold for a while and then came back to it when I got married, I made my wedding dress. And then, um, after having two small children, I really loved sewing for them. I loved making stuffed animals and little clothes and stuff for them. But after my second daughter was born, I had a lot of postpartum depression and I was really struggling and it was like groundhog day and I felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything and I felt like I was just really struggling day to day. And so I joined, I randomly on Instagram had been following these quilters and I had never been a quilter, <laughs> more of a garment sewer. And I, um, decided to join a quilt along on a whim and it was so joyful. I hadn't done anything like that before. Um, and it really kind of illuminated for me how important sewing was in my life and how it's been this thread kind of since I was young as a way to express myself creatively, um, as something that's almost meditative, you know, getting out of my head and out of my anxiety and into my hands, making what I need. And so I did this quilt along and I made this quilt and I just kept thinking like, I want to share this with the world. I really, really believe that sewing can bring people together. We have all of these rich historical and cultural traditions. So I had this little idea um, to create a mentorship for teens in the foster system um, paired with an adult mentor to work together and learn how to sew on their own. And so it was just going to be this small side hobby type of thing. And I started to tell a couple people about this idea and think about it more on nonprofit terms. Um, but I did not have, I had zero experience in nonprofits, in running a business, in having employees, <laughs> in doing anything. But I knew how to sew and I felt like I was, I had a lot of love to give and attention to give to someone. So um, once the idea kind of grew um, to expand, to include employment pathways. Um, and because, you know, there's a lot of sewing businesses in our community that really need trained sewists. You know, if you know how to operate a um, an industrial sewing machine and you have, you know, some general sewing skills, you can get five jobs out there right now today in our little town. So um, the idea expanded. And so we just started looking into how to make a nonprofit, which is a lot of paperwork up front. <laughs> um, not a lot of sewing, a lot of paperwork. So uh, I think the reason that we were successful is there was a lot of naive, um, just go-getter attitude kind of, and one foot in front of the other. Um, so we talked to a couple of people in our community um, that were really great resources who were in the nonprofit community and could provide us kind of like a pathway for what are the forms you need to fill out? How do you create a board? How do you have board meetings? Um, you know, all these things. And so it was funded with personal funds to get started. Um, and 
again, it was supposed to be kind of this small thing. And we were about to have our grand opening in March of 2020. And so then, you know, the world collapsed and things (laughs) got really crazy. So, um, yeah, but I feel like I think so many times we think I need to be fully trained. You know, I need to have a degree in nonprofit management and I need to know all the answers before I get started. But (laughs) I just really want to encourage anyone who's listening, like if you're passionate and you have some sewing skills or you have any type of skill that you want to share with the world, like you have enough right now to get started. You know, it doesn't have to start at this big nonprofit realm, but like, I really just urge people that you don't need an extra degree. We have Google, um, we have our community and you can just figure it out along the way. So. Yeah. My, uh, I'm an accountant. Um, and the, the start of my career was in nonprofit, um, formation and taxation. And so, so I, I know the paperwork you have to fill out to do this. And I know that if you're unfamiliar with it, there's, there's a lot, it's genuinely very daunting. Typically when you start out relatively small financially, you can at least do a postcard filing, which is much nicer than the full 990, but it's, but it's a lot of stuff that you that you have to go through to do it. So I'm I'm really impressed. Um, anytime I see people take a passion project, which I I help, I'm no longer in nonprofit accounting, but it's something that I still help people with who are are looking to get small things off the ground because it's daunting and a little bit of guidance goes a long way. But it's it, you always know you're you really believe in it when you can get through that mostly on your own power because it's it's a lot you wouldn't do it if you didn't mean it definitely definitely I so wish I would have known you two years ago <laughs> uh, I couldn't Sorry, there was a lot of trial and error too there was a there is so much like doing something completely wrong not even knowing that it could be wrong finding out that it's wrong and starting yeah. fresh so <laughs> determination yep <laughs> So does your, so is the, I don't know if you call it a company or I don't know how you refer to it, but your organization, is it, um, is it funded through the classes or is it funded through grants and the classes or how, how are you able to, cause now it's obviously gotten much bigger. Yeah. yeah, it would be a dream to fund it through the classes. Um, but we also are, like we said, really passionate about making it really equitable and accessible for everyone. So in so doing, we designed the classes so that everyone could participate in one way or another, which leaves obviously that big gap in funding. And so mm-hmm. we're constantly looking for grants and corporate sponsors and donors to help fill in those gaps so that we can offer classes to anyone at any point level of the scale that they can pay. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about the way we design the organization and whether, you know, we knew we were doing this in the beginning or not, it might have just happened. But um, sewing is just, there's no shortage of ideas um, when it comes to sewing. And so I think that we were able to really create a multidimensional business plan that included a lot of different sources of funding um, so that we can have a little more sustainability. I think in any nonprofit realm, it's challenging. You know, it's mm-hmm. finding funding, I think, is always 
what nonprofits are struggling with, but we do have some generated revenue from our workroom, from the local businesses that we work with and help them manufacture their products. Um, we definitely have grant funding and we've been really supported by um, our city. We've received a federal grant for a vocational training program. Um, we have a lot of great corporate sponsorships for um, from businesses in our community. And, and so I think because our organization ser like aims to serve a really diverse population, um, we are eligible for a diverse set of funding too. So, you know, we do kids and we do youth yeah. programs and we do women and we do um, employment and vocational training. So I think, you know, um, that would be my other advice I think for any other nonprofit is to like not put your eggs in one basket because grants are insane yeah. <laughs> you know you write your grant three months later they interview you about your grant six months later they maybe give you money and it's <laughs> it's challenging from an accounting perspective which you know <laughs> budgeting mm -hmm. always always the most challenging yeah that's true so how can our listeners help you what is the thing that our listeners can do? What's the ask? Ooh. How do we, you know? <laughs> yeah, I have a, a couple of things. One, I would love for folks to kind of follow us on social media to keep up with all the new things that we're doing because we're constantly growing our programming. We're constantly shifting to give people what they need and try to, you know, be successful in that way. Um, so we are always looking for um, for donors, though, obviously being a big one. Um, anyone who can, who can give of their time or give of their funds, um, it's really, really special and, and helpful for us. Um, to make all of these programs available and free or low cost where they can be. Um, so donors are always a big thing. Volunteers are great as well. Um, and in the future, we might be looking for some, um, some guest instructor, instructors and stuff. So, but that's a little bit down the pike. We're still, still pretty new. Um, we, we actually, I want to give a quick shout out to um, our friends at Blackbird Fabrics and Friday Pattern Company, because both of those businesses in the sewing community, and they're both pillars, right, um, have given us a little bit of, of support. I think Friday Pattern Company offered a, um, to let us use some of their patterns in, in our youth programming. So one of the teams in our sewing squad is making a saltwater slip which is cool. It gets them into garment making and using really good patterns and learning about the indie pattern scene um, and accessibility. And then also um, Blackbird gave us some fabric and some patterns too that we can teach in our classes. So if you own a sewing business and you have something to contribute in that sort of realm of giving patterns that we can use or fabrics that, um, that we can use, but mostly those donors, the dollars really, really do count and we can really make them matter. I think Lindsay and I did the math and realized that for $15, someone can support a kid through Sewing Squad. Um, so we really, really put those dollars to work in a good way when we, when we get that support. That's, that's great. I think that, and of course, you'll give me all the information for how people can do that so that I can put it in the show notes and we'll put it, uh, link it in the social, in the, our social media somehow. Absolutely. That's, that's what Jenny has to do. Um, but um well, if you, you have, ever, I was wondering, I was wondering if you ever have a need for, um, for fabric, um, like fabric or, or patterns that haven't been cut because 
there's a lot of people that going through their sewing room. And for me personally, I'd rather give it to you guys than try to sell it. You know, like it, it would be, that would be easier for me. I don't care if I pay for a box to ship to you, but is that something that you guys accept or not? Definitely we do. Um, Patterns are a big thing because we are starting our Create and Connect program, which is like that open sewing program. And, you know, our programs are just as much about creativity and learning to sew as they are about connections. So we're probably going to have a lot of people coming in that maybe have no idea what they want to make, have never sewn before. And so we would love to be just stocked up with all sorts of ideas for people to be able to start their sewing journey. So patterns would be great. Um, of course, fabric is great too. We're really big on sustainability here. So we try to um, design all of our classes around things that we already have in the shop. As you can see, we have a lot of fabric out fabric. there. <laughs> and um, so we love fabric and, you know, we'll make good use of it. And If we ever find ourselves in a position where we have a little too much fabric, which I don't know if anyone listening has ever found themselves in that (laughs) position, but, um, you know, we work with a lot of uh, kids and teens who um, come from families that um, are experiencing homelessness, um, that are low income. And so what we really hope to do in the future, too, is help these kids and teens who come to our programming, who show an interest in sewing and textile arts, continue that journey outside of here. So if we get extra sewing machines donated, um, we will get them fixed up and we can give them to kids to use at home. And we can certainly make some, you know, at home fun sewing packages with extra goodies that we have lying around the shop. So um, we have not reached our limit of donations yet. So keep sending them is what I would say. I think, I think you, we could easily drum up people to give a lot of paper patterns to you. I mean, we'd love that. We we have so many, I, I bought a bunch before, you know, when I first started that I, I I hardly ever use big four patterns. So um, I think we can probably get people to, you just have to give us an address and everything. And you may find that you have a lot of them. (laughs) We can definitely do that. We would love to. And um, yeah, and it's great. I mean, sometimes even just the value of of helping someone understand pattern language and and the words we use as as sewists um, can be just a massive thing in terms of building that autonomy. And so we would love anything you can send our way. (laughs) Absolutely. Go ahead, Jenny. I know you also have one of my favorite features on your website for cash donations. You have a a little block on your website that allows people to select a monthly amount. And that's something I find there's a lot of smaller nonprofits that don't have that accessibility on their website to be able to make that monthly choice. And that's wonderful. It's such a great way to decide um, to put it in sewing terms, I guess I'm going to give up a pattern a month and instead donate that to a program that's trying to share the love of sewing in a really accessible way for many people. So I think that's, that's super nice. Yeah. And, it, and again, like, you know, because we use repurposed materials and because, um, you know, we do have so many donations, a lot of our programs, you know, again, we can do a lot with, you know, smaller amounts. So even if that's $15, um, that's giving an opportunity for creativity and connection to a kid who really needs it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that right when you were going to open is when COVID hit. So <laughs> how did that, I mean, obviously it impacted your, your, um, your starting up, but what did you do? How'd you handle it? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, what didn't we do actually? So, um, we were about to have our grand opening and it's funny because we were having these conversations like, should we at our grand opening party, do you think we should teach people how to make their own masks? No, we're not going to need masks. Like masks are still taboo. It's still, you know, so, um, pretty soon after we realized that we were going to need masks, um, our organization went from pretty much two people to, uh, hiring 10 people. Um, within a couple weeks and working two shifts to create PPE for our local organization. So we started out um, just making masks for um, our local shelters, um, the food bank, the Salvation Army. Um, and pretty quickly, we were in touch with our regional medical center here. And we went under contract with them and we sewed PPE for the rest of 2020. Um, we worked oh. in addition to our staff of 10 working two shifts, making PPE here. Um, we also contracted with about 15 other local sewists in town and we made over 25,000 pieces of reusable PPE. Um, including 4,000 reusable hospital gowns that went to medical facilities on our neighboring reservations. And um, it was, it was very intense. It was very intense to grow an organization to that size almost overnight, but we built this beautiful team of people. And at a time when people were losing their jobs, it was so meaningful for us to be able to create work and also to create a community where we could come and just have support while we're all experiencing this crisis, you know? So 2020 was wild. <laughs> it was pretty wild. I came on during the kind of, uh, in the throes of the gown making project, um, mm -hmm. when we were making loads and loads of hospital gowns. Um, and I definitely thought about it as sort of like a Rosie, the riveter moment, you know, this mm -hmm. is our opportunity to like step forward in this time in history where things are really uncertain and, and make a positive difference. Um, and so that was really special. And then like Lindsay said, um, we brought this like community together, this small team that just really cared for each other and we would come to work and cry sometimes because pandemics are all hard the <laughs> all the time and we had this this kind of open thing that was really beautiful and really special and then you know at the end of the day like we made over 4,000 gowns for Northern Arizona Volunteer Medical Corps. And that's really beautiful. And we made over 3,000 mask kits that just went to our neighboring reservations. And those kits gave people a sense of autonomy and, and the ability to make their own masks or to have that protection as well. And um, I think we spent, you said, you were mentioning, sorry, um, some of our, um, our partnerships as well. We made over 11,000 masks for people without shelter. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just knowing that we could do this really beautiful thing in this really challenging moment. And I think it really mm -hmm. shaped what Threaded Together would later become um, in terms of being a really supportive place, being a safe space, being an environment where people could come and find a genuine community. Yeah, it was 
obviously one of the most challenging times in my life personally. Um, but there were so many silver linings. And the fact is that we created Threaded Together to thread people together through sewing and love in our community. And like, what a beautiful display of that immediately <laughs> after we had started that sewing can change the world, you know, and that, you know, we, I think after last year, you know, we don't have to twist anyone's arm about how important of a skill sewing is to learn. And, you know, so it was, it was a wild year. (laughs) We used to tease, or we, there was kind of a joke um, that was running around in the group of us that there would never be such a thing as a textile emergency. Like Mm -hmm. there would never be something fabric related that people urgently needed. Right. Because when we had started Threaded Together, some of us were coming from these places where there was a lot of urgency in there, you know, and we were really trying to create a work environment that's supportive, especially to women. And as you know, something that's flexible and, you know, we're not uh, attached to our email all the time. And so, yes, there was literally this, there will never be a sewing emergency. You know, we will always be able to maintain our boundaries. And then the universe was like, I don't know. I'm going to show you that that's not true. And we were attached to our emails and we were sewing like wild women out here. So it was, um, an interesting turn of events for sure. <laughs> I'm so impressed with that dedication because um, I think I've sewn maybe a hundred masks and I can't freaking stand it. Like I cannot, I mean, the idea of doing 11,000 masks. Now I know you didn't personally do it. I know there was a team of people, but that's still a lot of masks. Yeah. Um, that's really dedicated. I mean, I think the, I think most people who sew would be really admire really admire you for how much, for how much you did there. And we had so much community support and involvement too. We have another, um, a couple other organizations in town, um, you know, like our Quilters Guild and we have a Days for Girls um, chapter, which sews menstrual products for um, donating. And the, I, I just, I couldn't believe that the community responded in that way. We would put together these kits because we were actually making the masks out of this repurposed material that our hospital had given us. So it's a surgical wrap that covers the Mm -hmm. surgical instrument trays in the operating room. And they had thousands and thousands of yards of this stuff. So we were actually using that. So we um, paired up with a local laser cutter in town who donated their time um, pre-cut all these kits and we would put them in a box outside. We'd put hundreds of kits out there and in like minutes, people would come and get them and we'd be, people would be like, where's the kits? We want to sew masks, you know? So it was, it just, I think it was so meaningful for people to be busy with their hands Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. making a contribution and doing something in a time where, we felt kind of helpless, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it was cool to see how sewing can build community in moments when it feels like we're so cut off from one another uh, mm-hmm. in a time where so many of us felt so isolated. Um, we had this opportunity to bring people together, even if they were alone at their sewing machine, stitching mask after mask. Um, mm-hmm. We still were, were creating this community and this effort that made people feel a part of something, which I think was so critical for getting through last year for me personally mm-hmm. and 
for a lot of people who discovered Threaded Together. So when did things start to shift from just being sort of this manufacturing sweatshop yeah. <laughs> to, to, um, it was you know, a tear shop. It yeah, was it was lovely. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of tears <laughs> and lots of stretch breaks. We took lots of stretch breaks. We, oh, had, good. we yeah. ate a lot of chocolate. A we lot of chocolate. really, um, uh, explicit music. Lizzo you know? got us through. <laughs> Lizzo. So, um, it was, it was pretty fun, but towards the end of 2020, it was definitely clear that the, um, our kind of our big production contracts were wrapping up. And, um, so we really headed into 2021 with this glorious idea that the pandemic was going to go away. <laughs> we're just going to go back to all of our normal programs. Um, but this started and it's been great, hasn't it? Now that it's gone. <laughs> oh, wait, um, shocked. Masks are a thing of the past, right? We're still sewing masks for our local shelters, actually, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth right now. Um, but so the start of 2021 was pretty challenging. Um, we had gotten a lot of community support financially during the pandemic because of all of the emergency COVID funding. So we had some great support from United Way and from the Arizona Community Foundation here locally um, that allowed us to buy more um, industrial sewing machines and employ people. (laughs) So what was challenging is, you know, there was just this shift. And so I think there was also a little bit of burnout from the community. <laughs> mm. Like we've had this big year. We're exhausted. I don't know if you guys felt that, but in oh, yeah. like January, February, March, whew, I hit a big lull, you know? Yeah. And so I, um, it, it was challenging because we were trying to develop our programs still with COVID in the foreground, <laughs> um, trying to figure out safe ways And we didn't, you know, I know so many people switched to Zoom and um, we weren't, I don't think we were established enough as, Mm -hmm. you know, an educational organization to make that shift easily. And Mm -hmm. it was, so we didn't, you know, we weren't able to offer a lot of Zoom instruction. So we really spent the first part of 2021 just regrouping, (laughs) taking a deep breath, trying to find funding, trying to understand how to run a nonprofit. Um, Definitely. I think though we came out of it again, realizing where our needs were for connection and community. Right. And we know that especially during this time, kids are really cut off and are left in this really vulnerable place where it's like, they don't have their friends to play with. They might not have adult support to help them through online learning and online learning is so isolating and challenging, especially with the little person's attention span. And there was this need to really help kids that became really urgent. I think for a lot of us and definitely for Lindsay and we moved kind of in this direction of like how can we help kids as soon as possible we were like should we open the classroom now I don't think we're ready to open the classroom now because things might not be safe and so we kind of had that dance of trying to figure out when things would be safe to do. Um, but throughout the, the pandemic as well, during the, those early 2020 days, for a little while, we were still going into the Boys and Girls Club mm-hmm. and having a sewing squad there at the at the Boys and Girls mm-hmm. Club for as long as it was safe to do so. And then we kind of um, transitioned into our, our current partnership 
out of that. So there was a little bit of that programming for young people and a little bit of what we're doing now still happening in the background. Um, and I think it was just, it was neat to see it come together. It was very challenging. And like Lindsay said, that funding sort of shifted and people were, you know, struggling with, with having their jobs return or not having jobs mm-hmm. return and making donations became really challenging mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And there wasn't that sense of urgency of like, this mask will save lives where, where we went from saving lives to changing lives and sometimes that transition you know means a little bit of a drop off in donation right. so yeah that and was it's, challenging it's just a constant pivot we're learning new pivot, things yeah. every day um and more than anything we're we're here to serve the community so we're just always trying to figure out what it is the community needs which often changes rapidly <laughs> so you know it's Fun and exciting over here most days. (laughs) Where would you like this to grow to? Like when you kind of sit back and think like, what would you like this to be, uh, become in the future? That's a really great question. And um, I think one of the really biggest challenges of this whole experience is being able to plan, (laughs) being able to think farther than, you know, a month (laughs) away (laughs) of what we're doing. Um, But we've already seen such a big impact in our community from our programming, especially now that we're able to have a lot of those original ideas and programs started. Um, And so, you know, we hope to continue to grow it at a sustainable pace, Mm -hmm. but um, we're kind of balancing right now growth and stability. We have these really great partnerships with some organizations in town. And so I think especially for the next year, really our focus is in strengthening what we're doing Mm -hmm. um, and, and reaching more people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the In addition to me being really proud of all of our programs and all of our impact that we're making in the community, one of the things that I'm most proud about is like the space that we're creating here for the people that work here. Make me tear up a little bit, but, um, you know, I just, we've created through a lot of tears and hard work, a very authentic and compassionate place to work. And so I feel like, um, you know, it's important to me that we don't try to grow too fast and try to do too much, um, that we maintain our creative spirits and all that good stuff. So yeah, I don't know if that was the answer to the question. That's so true. I often think of Threaded Together as like a family in a lot of ways, kind of going off of that point is that we are so honest with each other. We care so deeply and genuinely about each other and we want to share this safe space and this beautiful kind of feeling of community and connection and of of women and non-binary folks like you know supporting each other and lifting each other up always and stepping outside of some of those um cycles of of aggressive like productivity and we've offered a really nice flexible place for people to come um and and we want this to be a place that's open to mothers and open to people with challenges in and caretaking. And, um, and I think that we're really doing that and it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. So I, I, you know, 20 years from now, I hope there's a threaded together chapter in every city and <laughs> we're, you know, we're teaching hundreds of thousands of kids to sew. And more importantly, we're, um, providing inclusive communities for people to, you know, make what they need and mend what they have and 
have fun and be creative and be themselves. Um, but for now, we're just, we're still very much in the mode of one foot in front of the other and, um, you know, trying to just strengthen what we're, what we're doing right now. Well, it sounds to me like you guys have done everything right. And you've, you've really, <laughs> we've, no, no, no. <laughs> we've actually done almost everything wrong, and, um, but then, you know, got the beautiful opportunity to try to do it right the second time. Pivot is time. the word of the year and the word of the season, all the pivoting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like a lovely organization and I will include links on for people to donate to Threaded Together. And if people can donate a monthly amount, that'd be great. A single amount, that'd be great. If it's supplies, they can. And if you can't do any of that, maybe you can, you know, spread along um, the message and, and get people interested in your social media. I think it's wonderful. And I lived for a while in uh, New Mexico, um, sort of on the Texas border. It wasn't my favorite place to live, but I won't go in there. Anyway, um, I, I saw kids there that really could have used something like this. And I think that's great. And in our area, we've gotten a lot of uh, like Afghan refugees. And I would imagine people in those kind of, you know, immigrants in those situations would really benefit from from having a skill that they could use. So definitely good we've, we've had just so many instances where it's so apparent what what sewing can do you know how empowering it can be how people can feel more in their own power um we over the summer were working with the um teens on probation through the juvenile court and there was this uh teenager and he came in and he was all sullen and did not seem excited about being dragged mm -hmm. to the sewing class and um you know, as soon as I think he realized like, oh, this is kind of a cool machine, you know, lots of moving mm -hmm. parts. I can turn the speed to really fast and go for it. Um, but that's he, how I sew. <laughs> <laughs> he um, he decided to make a pair of pajama pants and we had this flannel somebody had donated that had pizza slices all over it. And so he gets through making his pants and we have a dressing room here in the shop. And we were like, you have to go in and try on your pants. No, no, no. And we're like, You have to go in and try on your pants. We want to see. And you hear him go in the dressing room and you hear him start giggling this teenage boy. And I just like, he came out with a look on his face. He couldn't hide the smile. He was trying to, um, but he just couldn't hide the smile. And he was he just was so proud of himself for making these completely awesome pants. And I just think that those, like those moments are not few and far between. They're in every single class. The joy that we see from kids, you know, making something inside out and being like, I don't understand how this turns into a little doll shirt and then flipping mm -hmm. it inside out and their eyeballs get wide. <gasps> they give a gasp you know, it never gets old. It's like me when I do the burrito method and I'm yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> oh my God, it magic. It works. It's total magic. <laughs> and it's, it's wonderful. Also, I think for, for folks to realize that they can fix things sometimes mm -hmm. that, that just because you sewed it wrong the first time you can unpick that seam or yeah. you might have a pair of pants that you love that are torn, but it is in your power 
to make that better and make that something that is more meaningful to you and, and patch it. And I think that's been really special, um, to see. And, and literally like Lindsay said, every day, there's like an example of a, of a team that comes in for our, our sewing squad that leaves. And I am just so filled with joy that we got to help that person kind of just realize their own power and, and realize that they can do so much more than they might've realized. And certainly your Instagram feed for uh, Threaded Together really reflects that. I love the visible mending. I love the donut pillows. I like um, I, I like all of that. It's enthusiastic. The, um, the joy that you can see in the students who have stepped out having made their own thing is amazing. And it reminds me of the first things I cobbled together when I was young and sewing for myself, just that that imperfection, but accompanied by such joy in the accomplishment yourself. So it's, it's really, really quite amazing. I'm so glad that you reached out to us and gave us an opportunity to learn more and be able to share that with our listeners. Well, yeah, so that's, it's great. We'd love to hear about people building community and sewing. Sewing can definitely change the world. And if you have a passion to share a skill with kids right now, they really, really need it. <laughs> yeah. I think after the year and a half that, you know, we've all collectively had, kids are really suffering, especially teenagers. And I just think that if you can reach out and make a connection, that's really important. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's very motivating. It really is. That's really awesome that you do that work. Uh, the, one more thing, if uh, if folks decide to make a one-time or a recurring donation, if they reach out to me with proof of that donation, I'll send them a prize. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So, yeah. Anyone who chooses to do it, that is the punk rocker way, will definitely get a prize in the mail to you. Oh, so, so yeah, just reach out with proof of that donation, no matter what size it is. Thank you. Oh, it's so special. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. <laughs> Well, see you next Tuesday. The Punk Frackers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frackers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.